Hey everybody, welcome back to In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. This week we discuss the season finale of Star Trek Lower Decks, episode 10, No Small Pots. I am Kevin, one of your hosts, and my other host is here with me. And I am Ethan, the other host that was aforementioned. Right, right, I can't believe this season is over with now. I can't believe it only because it saddens me. I'm very sad. <clears throat> I'm 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 quite sad by this, but um, but that's why we're here. We're gonna review this, but uh, so um, but what's up? What's, what's new on? in Kevin world? What's going on in, you? in my life? Um, not much, not much. Uh, again, staying inside mostly, gaming, enjoying the fall weather flipping my heat on now for the first time this year mm. well this not this year but this fall so um, what have you been playing so i kind of gave up on star wars squadrons and i moved over to uh genshin impact is what i'm playing now which a lot of my other my, a lot of my other friends are playing too it's free to play it's on steam a little genshin impact promo it's on steam it's on ps4 it's believe it's coming to switch at some point and i'm just using it now as a means to kind of fill the time before hyrule warriors comes out next month is this the game that has a very breath of the wild aesthetic to it it does it does but i will say i will say Mm -hmm. um even though it looks like breath of the wild and has all of that and it plays the same way i think it actually improves upon a lot of the mechanics of breath of the wild so okay in that respect it's fun, and it's a much. I think it's a much more satisfying combat system. Interesting, yeah. I've heard my students recommended it to me because they know I love Breath of the Wild. Yeah, it's free to play. Like I said, I would recommend getting it on Steam because I know that you uh, play games on Steam. I'm not very far into it yet, but I do like it. It it does okay. bear a striking resemblance to Breath of the Wild, of course. I'll and take that. I know. It's, we'll see. That's <laughs> the thing. I know people have criticized it for that. For that, I'm thinking. But Breath of the Wild's a really good game, though. What's wrong with that? Right. I'm not in the business, so if they give me a game that's satisfying and fun to play, it has the look. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I mean, it would be one thing if it sucked, but it doesn't. It yeah. actually doesn't suck. So Great. it's fun. I enjoy it. I'll get back to it at some point. I don't know when, but yeah. Yeah. What about you? Tell me things. Um, let's see. I have... Um, I learned a new opening in chess. Mm-hmm. So uh, it seems that it, well, I learned an opening, and then I start to win some games. I progress my rating, and then I get to a harder class of competition, and that opening, I lose every time with it, and then I have to learn another opening, and then that'll win me for a bit. So I think it's an okay system that once I start to lose a lot, I know that my opening's not working and I need a repertoire. But now that I know a few openings, I can see now, depending on what the other player does, I can adjust and switch to another opening. The thing I'm learning about chess, though, is there's a lot more memorization than I expected, and that's sort of... It's not that I can't memorize, it's just it's not really as satisfying as thinking on your feet. Like, that's what I look for in games. So I, we'll see what happens with yeah. my uh, chess journey. I think I had, um, a few days ago, I think I had, did I text you with something to say we're going to record tonight? And there was a 
bit of a delay in getting back to me and I think the word you used was riveting I think you were like I was in a very riveting game of chess and I was like oh well yeah I mean I gotta tell you it's it's you know I, here's another thing though I don't play any games where I'm being competitive video games are being competitive with other people yep so I'm sure that has the similar feeling for people but it is very um you know the clock's ticking. You only I play games with only ten minutes per side of like thinking time, and yeah. um, it gets riveting. It really does. When like I have a plan and, and they don't see it. And well, here's the thing: if you're playing chess, I feel like you already have me kind of beaten because I'm just kind of playing like uh, mindless video games. But you're doing stuff that actually. Well, it's not a contest, but it's. <laughs> I mean, it's equally mindless, honestly. <laughs> They're all they're all games, you know, that are just. I guess I just feel like you're playing something on a more intellectually elevated level. So. I think that's a little bit of fooey. I know it has that reputation, but I think it's one of those things like the reputation is not really earned. I mean, it's just another board game. This is much strategy and a lot of other things as well. Mm. I love it, but you know, I Connect Four is pretty intense too. <laughs> Well, the other thing I was going to mention really quick that I was doing, because I forgot, but um, I'm, I've been watching, kind of been on like a bit of a, you know, we're in season, right? We're in a bit of a horror movie season. And last night I rented Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, which I had not seen in quite some time. I really don't remember much from it. Mm. And I feel, just to give a quick review before we jump into Trek, but I feel... Sure, I saw like, a horror movie too, I'll mention that. I feel like it's kind of almost against the law to say this to say this because it's Hitchcock <laughs> but it's it's not I don't think it's a very good movie The Birds yeah. I don't think it's very good at all that's fair yeah and probably some of that would be that at the time it was just so surprising yeah I mean I think con- I was looking stuff up and contemporary critics of the day were very mixed and I think what the viewpoint was is that Given like he had done Psycho, he had done North by Northwest. It, it, I think it was kind of a step down. It was viewed as mm. kind of a step down for him in some ways. But I was very compelled by, and I think this is good as movies today don't have much of it. I was very compelled by what the characters, the character storylines, and what they were doing, which was kind of mm. setting all this stuff in motion. I was very compelled by all of that. And yeah, that's a sign of a good film, like it. But why the birds attack? Why they did all the stuff? We just we don't know. It's not explained. And, right. But that wasn't those, a world where things like that needed explaining. Movies didn't do that back then. Right. It's just one of those existential. Yeah. Like this thing happens and you don't know why, but you have to deal with it. Yeah. Nowadays, there would be a birds prequel, and there would be some a franchise. You know, wild uh, mad scientist that programs birds to attack. Oh yeah. Uh, no doubt. No doubt. Um, I watched a horror film. Mm-hmm. I watched um, Antebellum. Okay. And boy, I gotta say, I was very disappointed. It was such an interesting premise. A modern day African American woman is either transported back to slavery times or someone has, re- I won't spoil anything, or someone has recreated slavery times in the modern day, something along those lines. And, you know, I mean, talk about horror. Mm. You go from being a free person with rights and, and 
a life and then you are forced into slavery but it really just somehow that that great of a of a premise fell really really flat hmm. yeah every so, every halloween I season i you know i always watch horror movies but i try what i've been trying to do for the last couple of years is watch horror movies that i don't normally watch instead of just going back to halloween friday the 13th all those ones like what haven't mm-hmm. i seen what haven't i seen enough of so that's what i've been trying to do this year and yeah. nice yeah so this is the season finale and as i was saying in the opening uh it came upon us i think fairly quickly i miss them already but i thought it brought the season to a rather satisfying conclusion i totally agree and so i have to say that this this episode in such a perfect way being the last episode made the show live up to all the hopes that i had on that first when we talked about what we hoped to get from the show i agree i have that in one of my notes I yep, we got. i think we got it all and it came, yeah. came to a culmination in this episode and yeah. here's the thing i'm gonna and i'm not one to make you know this i'm not a hyperbolic person i won't say it's the greatest thing ever i won't say it's the worst thing ever I you know i don't i don't do hot takes just to do a hot take yep but i'm gonna do a hot take right now this was the best Star Trek story film uh, episode of television in the last 20 years. Hmm. Okay. I think that's my timeline. Okay. Or at least since at least like post first contact. Okay. So as we go through, I will expect you to defend that position. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. kind of my overall thoughts. So the plot of this episode centers around obviously a couple of things, but the main thrust of the story is the Cerritos coming face to face with a group of aliens. The, <clears throat> excuse me, the, um, the Packlids and We've got some smaller stories going on as well. Tendi having to sort of work with a new recruit who came aboard the Cerritos, who comes aboard the Cerritos. So there's a, it's, but I think overall the episode had a, well, of course there were those comedic moments. It had a kind of very serious tone to it because, like, if I, I feel like the show is becoming more and more. F- like a Star Trek show, the more the season continues, right? Like I you totally feel agree. like in the first few, the first handful of episodes, it's trying to kind of find itself, and then it finally does. It knows it knows its strong points, it knows its weak points, and it uses them appropriately. And you end up getting some very satisfying material. I, I absolutely agree. I feel like my feeling in this was last week they parodied a, tr- a Star Trek film. Right. And they hit on a lot of those uh, moments for, um, you know, for laughs. Yep. But I felt like this week they did a lot of those moments, but sincerely and earnestly, and it wound up having a, a, this 
if this were expanded into a film, I really yep. think that some of these moments would have would land so well. I mean, they did land so well. They landed as well as they would have in a film. So I think mm. they kind of turned those tropes and used them for real this week rather than for last. Yeah, and I was thinking about some of the stuff from last week because you were saying how they sort of parodied the movie. And while the show isn't a parody per se, they parodied the films last week, but it was okay because they were on the holodeck. So it was like meta inside of meta. So it was like it was completely and totally acceptable to do that last week. Right? And even if it wasn't the holodeck, I still would have been fine with it. Oh, yeah. It made more sense because they were on the holodeck. But I guess that just sort of shows a respect. Yeah. Where, because it would have been suspect for the characters to act in that way. Right. We've sort of gone back to some of our earlier critiques of... um, So giving... Giving kind of a bit of a light recap of the episode. So the episode opens up with them on planet Beta 3, which is a planet, the planet featured in the original series episode, Return of the Archons. And this is the society that was worshipping a computer, Landru. Now, this is one of the things that Lower Deck, I think, is so good at in that all of these weird planets they visited on the original series, you know, this one, say the Gangs of Chicago, the Shore Leaf planet, you don't, you never hear about it again on the next generation. So, like, you, you sometimes wonder, like, well, Picard's out there in space, you are like, and even throughout Deep Space Nine, you're thinking to yourself, like, that Gangs of Chicago planet is still out there someplace. Like, what's going on there? How can they never go back? Yeah. And I love that Lower Decks decides to, and they even say it in dialogue, decides to actually revisit something from the original series. And it still maintains that sort of 60s campiness about it. Uh, yeah, I, I was so impressed with particularly the voice actor. I don't know if it was the same voice actor, but they mm. nailed the voice of Landru. Well, and they, they, again, they kept it 60s and had like that, it was even like echoey, right? It was like mm-hmm. like he was speaking into an echo chamber. Yeah, it was it was awesome. And well, I, Go ahead. And this is skipping ahead a little bit, but just because we're on this topic, but toward the end, um, when Mariner says, Starfleet is good at observing, but bad at maintaining. Yeah. Because they don't maintain. They think that it, it's an interesting critique of... Starfleet's whole modus operandi where Kirk shows up he gets into some kind of a fight and then teaches them a lesson and then they leave and they think oh that's all settled now and now here we are hundreds of years later and they've got some problems so I actually think this dialogue at the end set up that next season could be just them revisiting original series and I'd be totally fine with that the thing, so some of the things on this that jumped out at me with them being on that planet is I love how. So to give a little bit of history first, when Kirk and the crew left that planet, they left behind a um, a team of experts to kind of help the inhabitants of the planet return to a kind of quote unquote more human form. And I love the fact that we find out that. Nope, that didn't actually work. They reverted back to worshipping Landru. I love that there's a sign hanging on Landru that says, Do not obey. There's even like, there's even like you know, do not cross police tape around it too <laughs> that just says, yeah, like, <laughs> I I don't know. Like, there was something about, like, that's the best they could do. 
<laughs> they just hung a sign and said, "Do not, do not obey, do not worship." They didn't, they didn't get rid of Landry. Right. Right. Um. So yeah, I mean, again, I thought it was great that they actually went back and revisited one of these sort of absurd planets of the original series to see that nothing much has really changed. Yeah, it was it was fantastic, and, and then, I'm sure that you really enjoyed. I'm, I know you really enjoyed because you mentioned it. Um, the fact that they used the animated series yes on their pad, the animated series um, images of Kirk and Spock. That was fantastic. That was such a great touch. That was such a great touch because. If you did Kirk and Spock in the form of low, of the lower decks, I mean, you still know who it was, but it, I don't think it would have really meant as much. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, thought, I thought that was a great touch. It's connecting the legacy of animated Trek. Correct. Yep. And I found it interesting that as soon as they got back aboard the Cerritos, Ransom actually uses... So they've now canonized in-universe the term TOS. <laughs> yeah, those old scientists. Those old scientists. <laughs> No, which I just find, very funny. Which I, which I just think is so great. It's so great. And it was a great meta joke because after he made it, you could almost hear the haters. They wouldn't know what that means. And then the captain didn't know what the hell he was talking about because no one else says that except for Ransom. Yep. Yep. And so Mariner and Boimler have remained back on the planet because they're giving out art supplies to all the little kids. And of course, Boimler now reveals to Mariner that he knows her secret, that Freeman is her mom, which we was revealed last week. So now that the two of them have sort of shared that information, it seems like all hell is about to break loose. Right. Boiler is those weaselly little sleaze. He is. He is. Like, I, I have to say that when he revealed that information, I thought to myself, like, what? what's the reason behind it? Like right. where is this leading to? Are you just saying it because? Or I think yeah, yeah. I think his whole thing kicked in of like this can get me ahead. Yeah, his whole just need to advance, and I think that be trumped everything else. Uh, oh, I used the well as it does on the rest of the crew, right? Because now, because don't forget when he did that, his comm line was open, so everybody on the bridge heard him reveal it to her. So yeah, now she the, didn't know, right? And so now the entire ship is aware of it, so they begin to sort of treat her a bit differently. The entire crew begins right. to treat her differently. Yeah, so everybody becomes a weaselly little sleaze like Boimler. Right. Which, But I really, I think for Boimler, why it was so sleazy, like, he has a real relationship with her. They are very close friends. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that as soon as he found out, he immediately went to the place of, like, oh, this can be an advantage for me. Well, which I felt like in the grand scheme of the episode her or the crew knowing this information the rest of the crew knowing this information i feel like it doesn't really go any place though like they all treat her a little bit differently and they say hey can you do this can you do that for me and help me with this get 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 to the, get this for the captain get that to the captain but i feel like it doesn't really amount to much it doesn't really amount to anything right i do i do think that i mean i, I now can see why they wanted to keep it a secret i think yeah because Suddenly, no one's being real with with everyone is just seeing her as a way to get a, get something. Right, right. Um, yeah, so I think that that became a little more clear. Right. And then after the opening credits, we cut right into the another ship out in space, the USS Solvang, 
which is another California class ship, under the command of Captain Dayton. Dayton oh, Cali class, as Riker says. Dayton was formerly the captain of the USS Rubido, which we saw in the episode Much Ado About Boima. That's the other ship that got, um, I believe it was one that got terraformed, if I don't know if my episode's confused. So, She's gotten a lot with ships. They, they've got a new ship, same type of ship. And I love how the ship is like basically brand spanking new, and they're so concerned with sort of maintaining that kind of like new starship smell to the point where they don't even want to take the film off the side of the chair. That was funny because that's something we can all relate. Right. But this is when is it okay to take the film off? But the thing is, this is where the episode took a bit of a serious turn because in this moment, that's where the packlets come and destroy them. And that's when I, that's when you're kind of like I was kind of like, "Oh shit." Like shit just, like basically shit just got real. Yes. That's yeah. exactly what I have right here also yeah. because it yeah, it went from a joke to like I think a re- really high stakes moment. Yeah. That was the triggering event for the um for the plot. Right. And I don't know I felt like I felt the fear and the terror in the in them it was very effective and the thing is i couldn't i couldn't think of any other moments in the season where the stakes were that high i like i couldn't even recall anybody else dying really but i don't know like i don't i don't remember i feel like i didn't i nothing gave me a reaction throughout the season previously like this did i agree i agree and i also think it was it was just also expertly done when they are trying to escape and of course what do they do well you warp out of there but they had grabbed onto the nacelle and so their own method of escape is what did them in yeah that was very and even just seeing the ship then like disabled floating like that Mm -hmm. you know that was a hell that was a damn good image that was an image that i think would be um that's always a trek film worthy visual and so, and back on the Cerritos, they get they get wind of a distress call from the USS Solvang, so they head out to answer the distress call. And I like the fact that they mention, oh, the Titans out there. No, we can take care of this. The Titan, of course, being Captain Riker's ship. Mm-hmm. So I did not think we would see him later, though. Which we will get to. Mm-hmm. And then back in the shuttle bay. Tendi and Rutherford are in the shuttle bay, and they're awaiting the arrival of a new crew, a crew member who Tendi is going to be the orientation liaison to, which is not a person; it's an exocomp. Yes, with a very Tendi-like personality. Yes, and but, a very great name, Peanut Hamper. Peanut Hamper, an exocomp who has what did she say? She's calculated the best name for her. She's run through. A bunch of different things, and she calculated the best name for her would be Peanut Hamper. Yes. yes. Yeah. And, I mean, another great thing, right? There's an exocomp that also has a complex character arc in this. Yeah. It's obviously played for laughs throughout, but it's an actual betrayal, sort of, to um, to Tendi. That was... That was well done as well. And then there's a moment in that shuttle bay, in the shuttle bay where Rutherford like discovers some new modes onto his implant, and he goes through optimistic mode, and then he goes into sexy mode. The sexy mode I laugh pretty hard at. Yeah, I, I literally like sarcastic mode also. Yeah, sexy mode. Yeah, I love sexy mode the most. But then we're cutting to the cr- uh, the crew. Basically, now that they know the secret, 
of Mariner that her and Freeman and mother daughter they start to treat her a little bit differently. They're all they're bumping into her in the hallways, saying like, "Hey, can you give this to the captain? Can you?" That they want to try to use her as a means to sort of get ahead. Then you had that officer who basically reveals that he thought Wolf Three Five Nine was an inside job, <laughs> <laughs> and the Dominion War didn't happen. And the Dominion War didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, he was a great character because he was just that's so sleazy. Also, he comes with, "Hey, remember we went on that date once." Well, and it's yeah. just it's just so in fitting with today's political climate, right? That he would that he would say something like that. Yeah, it's like the the pre was a previous joke where they said um, something isn't real; it's just something the government made up. I right. forget what it was. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's very well done, and you know they don't hit you over the head with their political commentary, but they're right. But they're we've fine. heard stuff like that before, like in regards to nine eleven. Right, the whole thing was an inside job. Oh yeah, the yeah. crisis actors that sh- uh, school shootings yeah. those aren't real. Yeah, sort of a QAnon vibe to this guy. So, when the Cerritos arrives, they find the wreck of the Solvang, and they and they end up in a huge firefight with the Packleds, who quickly disable them. I will say, by the way, the Packleds are alien species that we have seen. I know this is kind of. I'm jumping ahead a little, a little bit to my continuity watch, but I think it's okay because it's just so prominently featured. Yes. The Packlids are featured in the Next Generation episode, Season 2 episode, Samaritan Snare, which, very much like the guy whose name dropped, they name dropped a few weeks ago, this show is... I love that the show is tapping into these sort of basically one-off aliens that we just... or people, persons, that we saw like one time on the next generation. The ones that nobody even would think about, right? Right. Like, even so, the Packlids, yeah. I thought to myself, like, like I didn't even remember who they were, and I had to, you know, make a quick trip to Memory Alpha, and I was like, oh, right, now I remember, because they were in one episode of right. Next Gen. It's interesting, on my notes, I have, oh my god, it's these idiots from TNG. <laughs> well, what's great about it is, and the Packlids have been referenced, I think, on DS9 before, too, that they were frequent visitors to the station, but I think what's great about them using these aliens is that now again I admit I didn't remember the name of them I didn't remember where they came from because I think I don't that's not because Samaritan Snare is not an episode of Next Generation that I go back and visit that often and I doubt I'd meet many people who would say this who wouldn't say the same thing but if even if they were not on Next Generation, there's something extremely lower decks about them. Like, they just seem to fit onto the show perfectly. Yes, I do remember watching that episode. And I watched it so recently, which is why, for maybe for once, I got one of the continuity connections that you did not. But yeah. I do remember, even at the time, when I, as soon as they started talking, it's just like... Wait, what? This is this is their voice. This is how they sound. And yeah. and you think about it a little bit more, and, and I realize, well, yeah, not every alien is going to sound like a Shakespearean villain. Right. So I right. guess this does make sense. But yeah, their whole vibe is very um, very unique and very memorable. And they and, call and they're calling the ship the Enterprise. They just think every Federation starship is, is called the Enterprise. Yes. Yeah. And in in the in the Next Generation episode, they do the same thing. They use a. a yep. um, a distress signal to lure the Enterprise over, and then they try to take their parts. And then doesn't the Enterprise try to help them? I believe it's they been feel, a long time since so the episode. Uh, yeah, so I'm pretty yeah. sure that they realize, like, they sort of feel bad for them because they seem so dumb. So they actually try to help them, but they still try to steal right. their technology anyway. 
I should go back and watch that. I should have watched it actually before we recorded because yeah, I have not seen Samaritan Snap for quite some time. And if I'm not mistaken, it's Riker who is the one that um, like kind of wants to help them, so it's fitting. Yeah. So, and this of course leads to a huge firefight between the Cerritos and the Pakleds. The Pakleds quickly disable the Cerritos. They begin to beam over to the Cerritos and try to take over the ship. I got a huge laugh when they were, and this is also, and this happens to be my favorite line of the week too. Intruders beaming in. Very slowly, beaming in. <laughs> that was good. That was yeah. good. I think that this attack had the same seriousness as the attack on the um, the Solvang. The Solvang, yeah. Yeah, because I think that the stakes were really high because we just saw another ship be destroyed, so we knew it was possible. Right. And here's another thing that I love. We got to see the captain be a damn good captain for once. Right. Because, um, I mean, obviously they wanted to do the same thing that the Solvang did. They wanted to warp away, but the captain said, no, that's exactly what Captain Dayton would have done, and they're destroyed, so we can't do that. And right. so they didn't warp away, and that's what saved them, and ripped them to, it ripped them to sell off, but they, they were able to survive. So that was great, because here was the captain through cleverness and quick thinking mm-hmm. saving the ship not right. through diving through space or like falling 900 stories just through clever quick thinking and evasive action so and given the fact that it's a season finale right like the stakes are obviously a little bit higher they could potentially the ship is sort of at more the cerritos itself is potentially at more risk of even getting destroyed yeah or something you know, really big happening to it. So, yeah, I mean, it was cool. I, I mean, I was I was slightly on edge with the whole thing because you didn't know we didn't know what was going to happen. And again, it's a season finale, so this could end at any moment. Mm-hmm. So, but of course, they beam over, and it leads to the crew defending the ship. I got a really good laugh when Ransom, because again, they they all engage in hand to hand combat, right? I got a really good laugh when Ransom is basically announcing what he's doing to them as he's beating them up. He's basically channeling Kirk, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He's but narrating the whole. He's thing. narrating the whole thing. He's doing rolls. He's doing the double-fisted punch, right? Like I love that yeah. Ransom is basically just this Kirk parody. Yeah, it was side roll, side roll, double hand punch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. And then the crew determines that they need to basically send a virus over there to disable their systems. And this is the moment where Exocomp or Peanut (laughs) Hamper decides, no, I'm out. Yeah. No, that sounds really scary. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Uh, It was was great because also that was a flipping of something that would have happened on, I feel like, next gen. Where they introduce a character and then that character is the key. Well, yeah. I mean, it goes on to the whole, like, not really of a trope, but like, oh, you know, the doctor can go over there because he's a hologram and he doesn't need oxygen to breathe. Or like, Data can go over there because he can, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that like, you know, again, they the past shows would have utilized sort of the artificial life form to perform a task that they wouldn't have been able to do. And I love yeah. the idea that this one, this artificial life form is like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> also, Picard would have been like... Picard would have given one of his speeches. I can't order you over there. Yeah. 
but we need this. You know, give the the tough sell, and they would probably do it. So what ends up happening is Rutherford decides to utilize Psycho Badgy again. Badgy puts together like three different viruses like within seconds, and Shax takes Rutherford over his shoulder and just runs to the shuttle bay, and they go over to the other ship to actually put the virus in there. A very much of a Independence Day-like solution where you need to upload the virus and then get the hell out of there before they blow up, before the ship blows up, right? Mm-hmm. And but, I really liked um, yeah. Shax's um, line where uh, Rutherford said, um, I've got this. He said, and I've got you. And then he grabbed him and just started running with him over his shoulder, which was great because it's very much fitting with Shaxx and very unexpected. But the unfortunate one caveat of the whole thing is that when they get over there, as Rutherford begins to upload the virus, it gets to about 99%, and then Badgie appears and says, can't finish it until, what does he say, like, until you die or something like that? Yeah, until these guys kill you. Right. Which was kind of unfortunate, but luckily that did not be the case. But the unfortunate thing was Shaq ends up losing his life in when the alien when the um Packlid ships explode. He gets Rutherford out of there in time, mm-hmm. rips off his implant, gets him out of there, throws him on the shuttle, gets him out of there. And I love that the last we see of Shaq as the ship is blowing up is him. He's got one of the Packlids into in a headlock. Yes, he's still fighting. He's still fighting, despite the fact that the ship is going up in flames, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, But again, I mean, another serious moment. I mean, Shaxx dies. Yes, and really well done. A character that, it's, you know, it's remarkable that this was a character who just was a goofy, you know, like a last character, but still, I got enough time with him that, you know, that actually meant something. So, to leap ahead a little bit, so when they had his funeral... Mm-hmm. I thought of Arium on Discovery. Okay, I was just going to say it, and I didn't. No, well, because but I thought to myself, granted, granted, this is a half-hour show. The total amount of time with Shax is probably less than that of Arium. No, I don't think so. That's the funny part. I, I, Well, maybe I don't know. But didn't you care more about Shax than it? But you Arium? cared more about you because, again, as we've established with Arium, that was done over one episode, right? Even though Shax may have had one line or one quick moment in every episode, it was over the course of the last. It was over the course of the last ten weeks. Yes, and I think that even though we only had one line, like we knew who he was. Right. He had a very distinct personality. Where Arium, we didn't know anything except she pushed buttons. Arium was a Arium was like a recurring background character that we saw off to the side or yeah. something like that, or the camera would cut to her for a reaction. And the one time they bring her forward to kind of develop her a bit, they kill her off. So yeah. you had said, I don't remember the way you put it, but it was like it was uh, like character. You used some term like you didn't say character misuse, but you used some like I forget the term you used, but yeah. And I thought that, and of course, like, yeah, I thought of Arium right away. But yeah. Shax's was done much better, in my opinion. Much better. Because much better. we had gotten to know Shax. Yeah. Um, whereas it's almost as if, if it was Peanut Hamper, that would have been an Arium move. <laughs> right. Because we just met Peanut Hamper. We liked Peanut Hamper. But we liked Peanut Hamper, but Peanut Hamper's sacrifice wouldn't have really meant anything. We would have just been like, oh, well, all right. 
Yeah, right. And particularly the fact that we see this guy, we tend to think of him as that, that sort of played on the fact that we see Shax as kind of a joke. Yeah. But it's like, well, no, behind all that bluster and his wanting to fight all the time was the heart of a true warrior and a true hero. Right. Arium, again, was just a background character who we would who we would sort of get fleeting glances of. Yeah. A, a line or two occasionally. Yes, and I would have loved to have seen Over the course of two seasons. I wish you became a character. I think she would have been one of the most interesting characters. She had such an interesting situation. Yeah. So, and even that one episode was cool until it turned into uh, her dying. You know, we actually found out what her story was. Yeah, I mean, Shax died, and I was like, aw. Like, I wasn't... I mean, I wasn't devastated, but I just thought to myself, oh, it was just more like a aw moment, right? Like, I just really... But again, I mean, as we were saying, very much like the destruction of the Solvang... They kind of pulled out all the punches on this episode as far as raising the stakes. Absolutely. And I love how... I think what's great about this show... And again, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit when I sort of give my conclusions here, but they haven't let the idea that the show is sort of marketed as a comedy... They haven't let that get in the way of them actually taking risks and doing serious things. Like raising the stakes. And I think that's really a really good thing for this show agreed and I think that that goes back to what we said at the beginning it would have to be a good Trek show mm-hmm. for Trek stories it would have to have characters we care about and it would have to make us laugh agreed and this episode had that all of it like perfectly so they destroy the pack lead ships they think they're like oh great finally it's over and then more pack lead ships arrive but then another ship arrives, which turns out to be the USS Titan, commanded by none other than Captain William Riker. And we have a cameo of Captain Riker in this episode, in the show. Mm-hmm. And going into the finale, I thought to myself, okay, what's the... And Troy. Don't forget Troy. And Troy. But even like going into the finale, I thought to myself, okay, there's going to be... I just know there's going to be some kind of a cameo by somebody right and even when they said early when they earlier established the titan in dialogue i didn't even think that they i the thought never entered my mind that they would actually make an appearance but this marks the second star trek season finale in a row in which Riker came and saved the day right yes and interestingly we got to see the continuation of another star trek series but a series finale this time we got to see the uh continuation of it yeah and Which was hilarious and silly, but I appreciated it. I, I got to tell you, like I was just smiling ear to ear when Riker showed up because, like, Riker shows up, the Titan shows up. The Titan, by the way, a fantastic looking ship, right? We've never actually seen it before. We've seen it on Star Trek Online, but they actually canonized that design, so that's now the real thing. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic looking starship, and I loved how they arrived playing the Next Generation theme, specifically the music used on the closing credits of First Contact. That's what right. you heard. Wasn't that excellent? Yeah. That was good. And it just, it just if, you, if you're a Trek fan, like, you're just inside, you're just like, you're fucking squeeing, man. Like, you're just, you're so happy because, like, you're just thinking to yourself, God, I've missed this. Right. Yeah. And it, it worked so well. And it was interesting, too. You mentioned the Titan being a great ship. I would say that they actually gave it 
like an actual serious. We talked about the kind of ship porn from last week. They yeah. gave the Titan at the end like a, a ship porn shot where it just flew by slowly and it panned along with it. Yep. So I think they were the using end, it. Yeah. It did look fantastic. It's a great looking starship and it's really it's really got some muscle and you know you've seen because over here at my place like i've got some of the eagle moss models specifically the exile ones like i have discovery the enterprise and the shenzhou and i'm thinking to myself even though they have one of the titan already but it's small Hmm. like give me the xl man and i will gladly put that thing on my shelf yeah yeah so but it was Um, great it was great to see it was great to see Riker and troy yeah so i i i gotta believe we're gonna see more of them given that Boimler's a sleazy little weasel. Well, well, here's the thing really quick, just sort of on the, uh, as we observe this. like Big laughs when, you know, obviously Mariner knows Riker. We're not surprised, right? I wasn't surprised. And we find out that he was the one that hooks her up with all their contraband. The contraband, by the way, that she used to help fend off the pack-led invaders, right? And then he just quickly cuts off the communi- the communique. And yeah, Troy's like, didn't. I'm sorry, what was that? Like, <laughs> I think what's great about it is it's that yes, it's Riker and Troy, but it's like the lower decks version of Riker and Troy. Like, they're actually being really funny and playing them in such a way that they have not played the characters before. Right. Which I thought was really great. But I don't think any of it was out of character for them. No, I mean, well, here's the thing, right? We've not really seen them much as a married couple. Yeah, they get married at the beginning of Nemesis. We see them in Picard, but like, yeah. what's the day to day like? What's the what's the yeah. Picard and Troy like? Or excuse me, what's the Riker and Troy like of the Titan? Right. Like, you're because serving under. Picard, yeah. They're living in the woods and making pizzas, so it's right. a very different vibe. Yeah. 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 So. And it makes sense that Riker would be like. You know, have the hookups for the contraband. It didn't surprise me. Oh, and trust me, with that appearance, don't think I haven't seen it. People on Twitter are already clamoring. Oh my God, give us a record Troy animated show. I which, think next season, at least part of it, is going to have Riker and Troy and Boimler, which I would be totally down for. And I'm thinking to myself, Hey guys, get that petition going. It worked for Captain Pike. Yeah, but. Yeah, you think an animated show it's much more lightweight, right? Yeah, I mean they can probably they the two of them probably they have a party of recording in their home. They can probably do it from home. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'd like that, but that's a bigger topic for another time. I'd be open to it. Let's put it this. Let's put it that way. Right. So after they successfully fend off the Packleds, we're now back at Starbase seventy seven, where everything is sort of, you know, all fine and dandy again. The Cerritos is undergoing repairs. They're all sitting in the. Um, in the lounge Rutherford comes to finally and then we find out that he kind of lost all of his memories his recent memories and Tendi at first is kind of you think she's saddened by this but then you just find out she's actually very excited because then they can be best friends all over again Yes, which I just thought to myself like that's such a Tendi thing to happen Mm -hmm. and Rutherford's reaction was very funny he said okay yeah like he's not weirded out by it or anything right but we see over the course of the next few scenes, like he's slowly sort of getting his memories back, which sort of reminded me of like when Spock died, McCoy had his Katra, and then he's just very slowly getting his memories back, right? Mm. Um, but it's interesting because in that Starbase lounge, 
Boimler is just saying, yeah, I'm just really happy with what I've got. Mm-hmm. And then... Because how he would miss Mariner. That's why he w- was bummed, because he was he would miss her if she had gone. And then what happens? Her. He accepts promotion to go to the Titan, which... Yeah. I mean, again, let's not forget that he did say a few episodes back that that was his dream job. He wanted to be yeah, aboard the Titan. Yeah, we thought he had learned a lesson. Yeah, but we thought he had learned a lesson. Yeah. Yeah. So... A sleazy little weasel. That was the... I mean, as I'm sure they wanted to happen, they wanted us, the viewers, to be a little kind of thrown by that, I guess, because it seemed like he was all happy and just like, yeah, and just kind of found his way, Mm -hmm. and then he accepts promotion and goes to the Titan. And then Mariner, obviously, is not happy about this, leaving him several messages on on his pad. Yeah, well, he shows even more what a weasel he is. Yeah. When he plays it off like, oh, yeah, I'm so cool. Somebody's trying, trying to get in touch with me, but, you know, whatever, man. She'll get over it. Yeah, I'm so, so cool. I know about the Andorian bar. And it makes and you wonder. He only like, knows about because of Mariner. And, of course, it makes you wonder, like, fuck, what's going to happen next season? Right. And, yeah. and did he say, I would have missed you to try to get her to, like, I don't know. Was it all, like, was he manipulating? He, he's a weasel little weasel. Well, see, and the thing is, when I think back to what I was thinking the show was going to do before permit, like a few episodes in, I thought Mariner was going to be a little bit of a mentor to him. And they literally say in dialogue, she's like, no, nah, I'm not going to be a mentor. I'm just going to be your friend. Right. Like, I thought it was, I thought it was either going to be that, and then I thought it was going to be, he's just going to try to work his way up the ladder, and she's just going to be this sort of cavalier officer that he's going to view as kind of a threat from his being able to rise in the ranks, right? Mm. And none of that ended up even being true anyway. No. I, I think, this is what I would like to see. I would like to see him be a failure as yeah. an op- on the Titan because he still has not learned anything and he still is just going to follow the rules by the... You know, he's working under Riker. Mm-hmm. Riker's not going to want someone that's just a weasel that's going to kiss butt and follow the rules exactly. Yeah, dude, like, I don't... The thing is, I don't know how I feel about it. On the one hand, I'm thinking, oh, he's got his dream job, but you just said seconds ago you're happy with what you've got. Yeah, I think when we look back at his character, I think it makes sense. But I don't think that that should have been a reason for him not to accept promotion, because what would the reason be? And how often does an opportunity like that... How often would that opportunity present itself? Yeah, but he didn't have to be such a dick about it. Mm. I'm very on the fence about it. I'm thinking. I think he was a total. There was there was no reason he couldn't have answered Mariner's call. There's no reason he had to blow her off. There's no reason he had to like that. Yes. Act like oh, I'm so cool. Some chicks trying to get in touch with me to those right. new crewmates. That was all shitty. And he could have told her. He could have talked to her about it. I think it makes sense though because he's always been. If anything, Mariner has pulled a little bit of humanity out of him at points. Like, a little yeah. bit of not just the suck-up well, rule follower. And what I was doing was I was trying to tie this back to, is this in any way related to him just revealing the secret that he knows that Mariner and Freeman are related? Because you ha- don't forget, you also, had that mo- you also had that moment where she's not happy about the rest of the crew knowing. So she's like, oh, maybe I can just transfer to another ship. That way nobody knows me there. Yes. Right, but he does it instead. And there's yeah. even that point in the episode where she's pretending to be like an officer that's actually 
trying to do a good job. And I don't she's think she was pretending. Sir, left and right. And I don't. Think oh yeah, pre- not, well, not pretending, but I think yeah. she was just doing it. She was just like, yeah, this is actually really easy to follow the rules. I'm just going to do it. And I was trying to kind of tie those two plot points together, but I couldn't really figure out a way to kind of make them coexist together in a way that worked. Well, here's the only way is that you have to accept that Boimler is a terrible person. Yeah. That's the way that they fit together. Yeah. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I want to go back to a moment. Okay. Because I feel that we talked a lot about Mariner's arc, and you talked, that would be a great segue because you mentioned how she was being the unquote perfect um, officer candidate. You know, she was reading in the manual, like, tips to uh, be uniform compliant. Um, so, there was the moment where she had to talk with her mom. Yes. Her, um, together. Mm-hmm. Because you actually are, she admits, you actually are doing the right thing. But I don't get to break the rules to do the right thing like you do. And that's when they have their conversation about Starfleet is good at observing but bad at maintaining. They're both lamenting the fact that they just show up, think they fix things, and then disappear for hundreds of years and then send Cerritos over to clean up the mess when everything's falling apart. Mm. And like, wouldn't it be great if we checked in a little more uh, frequently, which is why I, I think it, it could set up the mission statement for next season. Um yeah, so they say we can't assume. Oh, this is Mary. We can't assume people will do the right thing uh, a generation down the road. And so that I, I hope will be sort of their their mission, as I said. But what I like is that also Captain says to actually no. So I guess this one's earlier. Captain says to her, "We need your brash, um, reckless decision making right now because that's the only way we're going to defeat the Packlands." Right. And that's when obviously they fight them, but also they come up with the idea for the virus. She comes up with the idea for the virus. Right. And it's like she she kicks into full captain mode because she's kind of pacing around the, the bridge a little bit and mm-hmm. she's saying, All right, she's thinking about like, okay, how do they operate? What resources do we have? And right. she comes up with a brilliant plan. So I think that's that's why I felt like it's almost as if when Trek keeps it a little bit simpler mm-hmm. to kind of really shine in the way that it's always shined for me. Like, this was a... I, I wrote in my notes, like, how was this only 20 minutes? Because I checked the time after right. things. This must have been an extended episode. And no. it wasn't. It was, it was 20 minutes. And yeah. it had so much go on. So much happened in this episode. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like I got more out of this 20 minutes of Trek than I've gotten out of a lot of the hour-long episodes. Of it was, I mean, aside from the ending, which, I mean, is questionable, but I think it's it's written that way. I mean, it was a very satisfying episode. Yeah. It really, really was. And Yeah. Yeah. If this were a film, right? Just think about how it could... I mean, how many times have we seen... I'm thinking of... Um, the motion picture where it starts yeah. off with like a, the destruction of a ship and that's the triggering event for everything. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like this could have been expanded into a film that I would have loved. Yeah. I mean, I think what would have happened is the destruction of the, 
of the Solvang, thank you, I almost called it the Salvos. That would have been the teaser to show you the, to kind of set up what the oncoming threat was. You would have been, you would have seen this teaser with this crew who we don't really know. I mean, again, we've seen this crew in Much Ado About Bundler. Yeah. And then that just plants the seed of the threat. Right. And then we could cut to the Old West planet. Yep. And then it's sort of like the fun little interlude part. Like yeah. when um, I'm thinking of um, Beyond when Kirk is has that run in with those aliens that he, I don't know, he took their thing or didn't. didn't oh, Into back. Darkness. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, into These seemingly oh, unrelated like, events. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I did enjoy a part of Into Darkness. Thing. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that could be like the fun little interlude and then they get pulled into the bigger plot of the, mm-hmm. of the alien there. Right. Yeah. I really felt like this was a solid well, ball. I gotta ball say, episode. like, yeah, I mean, I like that you mentioned that it didn't feel like 20 minutes. You thought that it was a little bit extended, but it wasn't. I mean, so much stuff happened. And I kind of had the same thought as I was watching it again, kind of jotting down notes for this recording, right? I'm looking hmm. at the level of notes I have, and then I, like, I would pause it and just jot a few thoughts down. And I'm looking at how long my list of notes are. Then I go back and I look at the player, and I'm like, I'm like oh my god, I'm only like 10 minutes in. Like, there's just there's so much going on in this episode. You know, the problems that they have to um, face mm-hmm. are, like we said, they're, they're real threats. But they're also sort of simple threats, in a way. Right. You've this- got this these aliens, and they want to take your... They want to grab... They want to, you know, grab hold of your ship, and they want to rip it apart for its technology, and they don't care if you live or die. Right. And that gives us our, our characters their moments to shine, mm-hmm. where like when the captain um, knows not to engage um, the warp because that's what the other ship did, and then when Boimler, I mean not Boimler, Mariner has her moment of realizing that work. Right. I feel like I was way more into those decisions and those threats than other ones we've seen that have been built up like over a season where they get overly complex and by the time any resolution happens I don't really know what, what the heck is going on anymore right and I think that's why I make the case that this is the most satisfying or most enjoyable Trek story in the last bunch of years because I cared about, like I said, I cared about the characters. I mm-hmm. cared about the threat. I enjoyed the action. I felt things when mm-hmm. um, tough situations arose, and I laughed. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump ahead to the continuity watch. So I mentioned some of the continuity. You're going to be busy on this. I'm going to. Uh, I mentioned some of this already, but. So some of this is going to be repeated. And as always, if there's any that I missed, please let me know. So, of course, the episode begins on Beta 3, which I mentioned is in the TOS episode Return of the Archons. Kirk and Spock are seen on the pad, on Ransom's pad, in the style of the animated series, which I thought was great. The term TOS now becomes in-universe canon. Exocomps, as Peanut Hamper is, were first seen in Next Generation's episode The Quality of Life. The Pakleds were featured in the Next Generation episode, Samaritan Snare. 
uh, Rutherford losing his memories but slowly getting them back as I said is similar to Spock's death resurrection as the Titan attacks the Pac-Led fleet the music is Jerry Goldsmith's score from First Contact one of the things that Mariner threatens Boimler with on one of her calls is that she's going to feed him to an Armus which of course is the creature that killed Tasha Yar in Skin of Evil Riker comes aboard the bridge of the and I figured you'd love that you'd love that you were going to love these ones Riker mentions he was watching, he was late because he was watching Archer and the first Enterprise on the holodeck, which is obviously a nod to the Enterprise series finale. And then he go on, goes on to say they had a long road getting from there to here, which I'm sure you fucking love. <laughs> no one questions him. You figure someone would have said, what? Right, <laughs> exactly. Here. But yeah, it was great. And then... I'm seeing so, the message boards already light up of, uh, he wouldn't know about the theme song. That's, that's, uh, that's improper. And then the planet that they set course to Telgana 4 is the planet that they visited in the second episode of Lower Decks. So, as always, if there's any that I missed, anybody, please let me know. I think there was one... Oh, there's one off the top of my head. So, even when they get back aboard the Cerritos after visiting Beta 3, Captain uh, Captain, um, Freeman mentions the gamesters of Trist- the gamesters of Tristgallion, which is an episode of the original an episode title of the original series as well so yeah so that's i'm sure there was some i backs up say again that's another clue that backs up my theory that next season they're going to visit a lot of the original series planets to check in you know maybe we'll see yeah. the half-face people from uh, and battlefield and as i mentioned my favorite line of the week is intruders beaming in very slowly beaming in so <laughs> that was good um, let me see. My, my favorite line of the week. I might have a couple. So one I really liked. Um, they're gonna car- you're carving us up like a first contact day salmon. Yeah. I just thought it was very funny that salmon would be the dish, you know, <laughs> the official dish of right first contact day. Like we have turkey on Thanksgiving. It's salmon on first. There was contact. No, and there was nothing to suggest that in the movie first contact either. <laughs> they weren't no. like they weren't eating fish. Yeah. Nope. Um, and of course, I think the, one of the funniest lines was um, Troy saying to Ransom, "You exaggerate your confidence to hide an ocean of insincere uh, insecurity." Mm. <laughs> that was good. Oh, and one more since Shacks in memory of Shacks. Um, I really liked when he popped out of nowhere in the hallway um, mm-hmm. with a wrapped batleth. Oh yes, <laughs> he said. Um, I think he's like, "I have a gift for Mariner." <laughs> Just, yeah, then they just like smash. They just jump cut after that. Yes, that that was great. Yeah. <laughs> it was very funny because we would. I don't. I, I would not expect that he would have gotten wrapped up in all this, you know, butt kissing with the captain. But there he was. So final conclusions. Uh, you know, again, overall the episode had a bit of a more serious tone. I mean, of course it had its trademark humor, right? But a much more serious tone throughout the episode. The stakes were really high. There was a fair amount of tension. Especially when we see that the Solvang destroyed in the beginning. Um, and again, we were touching upon this earlier. As I kind of hoped with Lower Decks earlier in the season, I wanted there to be moments where the Lower Decks crew could really get the chance to be the heroes and sort of save the day when the bridge crew, if the bridge crew ever becomes incapacitated. And that's kind of exactly what happened in this episode. So. Yeah, yeah, and even that Mariner was invited to really call the shots. Yeah, 
and they recognized that a lot of the things that were annoying about her were also strengths. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, really, we've reached the end of the season. And normally we do these, in the past we have done sort of a dedicated episode to seasonal wrap-ups, but just sort of in the interest of time with Discovery coming out as of this recording in two days, we don't really have a lot of time to do, record it and sort of let it, as I said on the phone the other night, I think I said gestate, right? And you were like, oh, great word use. So it was a good word, gestate. But the thing is, we also kind of made the point that we were also saying early on as we were recording these kind of off to the side, not recorded that if it's good, you don't really have much to say, right? So we felt like maybe we couldn't even dedicate a whole episode to it. So right. I think that, so this season has showed us that because we think we really liked it. We still we did. have a lot to say. So that's so, good. So in that respect, I mean, to kind of spend a few minutes doing a seasonal wrap up here, like I think for me, this was possibly the best first season of any Trek show I've seen. Original series is up there. Trek shows historically take a little bit of time to sort of get going, right? But I think this one really ended up being... I can't decide if I want to say the best or maybe the second best. But it's definitely... It's one It's one or the other. If it's not the best, it's the second best. So I'm leaning more toward it's one of the it's probably the best first season of all the truck shows I've seen. Yeah, I would say that uh, I think I probably agree with that, and, mm. and I would say as a as a, a whole as a season, I would also say because I don't know if we put it only with the ones that well, yeah, sure, we put it only with the new track because yeah, the older ones don't really have character arcs and things. Mm. You know, so with the new deck, I would say it's the most satisfying first season from the um, the new new regime, the CBS All Access regime. Well, and I think, and I think also, right, like I, I not to use a controversial comparison here, but like I always think about when we went to go see Rogue One, right? I mean, I ended up enjoying Rogue One anyway, right? I hope that's not controversial, but you kind of went into this movie. <laughs> thinking i don't know what i'm gonna be watching because it was a new type of star wars movie right and you didn't really have many if any preconceptions and at least i I mean i didn't i I don't know what the rest of you guys but i didn't and so i remember sitting down in that theater thinking i don't know what i'm gonna i don't know what i'm in store for here but hopefully i like it because they're taking basically because they're taking this in a direction that the franchise has never gone before. <laughs> it's weird to kind of say that in regard to Star Wars. And so, Lower Decks is kind of the same thing. We went into this thinking an adult animated comedy. Like, how is that going to work? And that's kind of all we thought about. And we're saying, can Trek actually do that? What was missing from that in the beginning, and it wasn't overly apparent based on what we had seen like in trailers or even just sort of in the artwork a year before that, was that, yeah, it's being marketed as an adult animated comedy, but it's at its core, it's going to be a Star Trek show telling Star Trek stories. And that's exactly what it ended up being. I mean, I, we, I ended pretty much every episode with a big smile on my face. Yeah, right? I think there was that little rocky patch around episode two and three, 
where yeah, boy, yeah, yeah. we sort of felt like it's getting too far into the silly range, especially as we mentioned the behavior of the, the bridge crew. Yeah. But thankfully that was very short lived. And I yeah. think that this latest episode, um, more than made up for it. We, because yeah. they weren't jokes. The captain was solid. She saved the ship. Um, Ransom, even like he was a goof, but he, he wasn't like a, mm-hmm. he wasn't a maniac. And Shaq's, you know, showed that he was truly a warrior and a hero. But he was still funny. Yeah. So that's all I ever wanted. I just don't... Do, yeah, I didn't like that it went down the road of, of, oh, this is a cartoon. We can make him do whatever, no matter how silly or outrageous. Yeah. and That was, at, that was at, a, short. At that specific time you talk about, because that was episodes three and four, Okay. we were afraid that the show had kind of, you know, whittled away its premise. Because they had the the bridge crew had you know was being heavily was being just as much featured as the lower decks crew, and we were like, this isn't lower decks anymore. Like, what are they doing? It's becoming like one of any of the other Trek shows. And while on the surface that might seem like, oh, that's great, that's not the show that we were initially presented. And so it was we were worried at that point that the show had kind of shifted, but they very quickly. Because remember I walked out of those episodes thinking, like, these two episodes, it was two in a row. And I said it on both recordings, I believe, of this podcast. I said, these episodes made me hate the bridge crew. Yes. And and wonder, how could they possibly be a Starfleet officers? Because right. they're so incompetent, petty, uh, and reckless. And not in a good way, like Mariner. And reckless just in a crappy way. Right. And so they very quickly kind of fix that and I, th- I, I and uh, whether that was sort of conscious or unconscious in terms of them writing those episodes you know you could probably look at it and say they were still trying to they were still feeling it out they were still figuring things out and it seemed like by the time we got to episode five and I think it was episode five or maybe six it seemed like they had finally gotten the mixture of it right they had finally figured out what works, what doesn't work. I think in the first few episodes they were kind of doing, maybe I, I guess you could say they were maybe doing some experimentation. And they finally sort of got the formula right by about the halfway point of the of the season. And, Agreed. Yeah. I feel that it jumped the humpback whale when the, when the captain um, promoted Mariner out of spite. Right. And to teach her a lesson, uh-huh. because that just seems so reckless. Because her thoughts were, if she's too reckless, I'm going to promote her, and that'll show her. Yeah. I'm give her more responsibility, so she could be more reckless, and maybe destroy the ship or something. That's what I thought. This is not. This is not how anyone would act. I think and also too un- I think also overall, I feel like I would have liked to have seen more done with Mariner and Freeman, the mother daughter thing, because. We had mentioned this in the last episode when it was revealed that that was it was like a it was like a big deal that Mar- that Boimler found that out. I didn't find it as big of a deal as he did, even though as a viewer I knew it. That was not a question for me that was sort of hanging over the season. Like, are they going to find out about this? Because we didn't know that they didn't know. Right, and so I feel like. I don't know. Maybe I have to go back and rewatch the season. I'm going to go back and rewatch the season anyway. Right. I maybe feel like 
I feel like that element of the season didn't quite land. I don't know if it was supposed to, but it 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 didn't seem as important as the show seemed like it wanted to make it toward the end of the season. Right. Yeah, you know, I agree. That was something that that was the only time in the show that I felt you know, my common critique when I don't like the writing in a show is that they did something and they didn't set it up. We're not so I felt talk, that... And we're not going to talk about that other show. No, no, no. I'm not going to talk about that. But we're going to talk about the concept of not setting up things because, right. like we said, if we had... If that had been, like, under the lurking under the surface that, oh, they don't know, nobody knows, then that moment maybe would have landed in a better way. But it was one of those times where in the moment we had to realize that no one knew and that they now knew at the same time. Because when they established that in the first episode, because don't forget Freeman's talking to her husband at the end of that first episode. And that's where you find out like, Oh yes. But after that, I wasn't like, Hmm, like I didn't. Yeah. It was just like, okay, well, there's some character development there. Where right. is this leading? I don't, is this going to go anyplace? I don't know. Yeah, there was no indication that no one else knew. Right. She was talking to her husband, so we found out sort of like by eavesdropping on that conversation. Yeah. But yeah, there was no indication. Right. Yeah, I, I think if anything in the season didn't land, that that was the one thing that I wasn't really I wasn't really clear on what the kind of intention was from a writer's perspective what they were trying to accomplish with that because I feel like it just didn't it didn't amount to anything I mean it, it, there was that good as you talked about earlier like there was that good scene between the two of them in this recent episode but like is I don't I don't know what this is. Is this building towards something? I don't know. If it is, I'm not really... I can't really guess what it's going to be. Because I just... I guess I'm just... I'm not... I'm not seeing the kind of immediacy of it right now. Like, what is, what's the importance of it, really? Of every... Of, of just now the ship knowing that they're related, right? Like, I don't know... Oh, yeah. Okay, it's like... Now it's I like, okay. Think... Yeah. I think we saw, well, we saw the way it just changed the whole dynamic on the ship. Right. But is that it? And like, is it just, was it off. just? Did they just? Was it just something that they were building to for a punchline? Right. Um, it's a good question. Yeah. Oh well, well, okay. So I guess maybe we got the answer from the captain. The captain said, "I didn't want people to know that the most demerited uh, officer or whatever her rank is in Starfleet was my daughter." Hmm. So that sort of is fitting with the earlier, more petty um, okay. captain. Well, that makes sense then. Because she just was embarrassed. She was just embarrassed. Right. And, yeah. But even but then... it still seems like a little top. That, but even then, you saying that, that kind of resolves it. Because now it's like, okay, well, now that people know what's next, right? But Right. And this, she's not embarrassed of her anymore. Despite she has realized that, though, that she's actually an asset. Despite that, though, I don't feel like that was sort of like a, you know, I want to say threat, but I don't feel like there was any ten. That didn't provide any tension throughout the season. 
right? Yeah, like it right. didn't. Yeah. So again, yeah. It, it, no big <laughs> deal, really. It didn't seize. It didn't prevent me from enjoying the show. It didn't get in the way of anything. Me neither. I just yeah. think the way it was presented, it didn't. It did not seem all that clear to me. So. Um, yes, I think one, it's just it's one of those things where you want to let something sit, right? Before you like release the tension, it would be like imagine if Luke Skywalker found out Darth Vader was his father in the throne room with the Emperor, right as Vader is throwing him down the shaft. Goes, By the way, I'm your dad, and then he throws him down the shaft, then he dies. Mm. It would be like what? Yeah. No, you want to sit with it for a while, you, and then have yeah. to pay off. You want to sit. You want to have. I mean, in that case. You want to have three years until the next one comes out and think about, oh, and just think about it for a while. That way, that ending scene is all the more rewarding, right? Yes, because it yeah. informs your understanding of all the situations. One thing Where I want to knew they didn't know, it would have changed things. One thing I want to quickly revisit with you is, and sorry to do this to you. Oh, please. we had whatever it is. We had made this comparison a few episodes back, so. You have Mariner, Mariner's plotline, Mariner's character story arc throughout the season. Oh. Then you have Michael Burnham. <laughs> I love this one because right. yeah. So okay. I mean, it's a. I feel no, like I'm kind of doing a shitty thing, right? But no, it's fair. It's totally yeah. fair. All right, here are my thoughts. If we all right, all right, all right, here we go. Okay. Tell me what is Mariner's, if you had to say in like a sentence, what is Mariner's story arc? What is it? Sentence or two? I'm not good at this. Okay, well, I'll do it. I'm not good at this. (laughs) Um, uh, Let's see. A um, underachiever Mm -hmm. realizes how much they have to offer Starfleet and finally steps up. Okay. Okay. Now, what's Michael Burnham's story arc? I have no idea what I would say. Somebody screws up really bad, and then they kind of try to fix it, and then they have a brother, and there's some kind of relationship there, and then their captain that died is sort of there, but not really. I will argue this. Now she's in the future. I'll provide some defense on Michael Burnham. Right. Some defense. Okay. But, okay. Just, just, well, just if it has anything to do with anything behind the scenes, I no, think it's invalid. No, okay. no, 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 no. I would argue that at least in the first season of Discovery, she started off one place, ended up in another. It all seemed resolved, right? She starts a mutiny. She's thrown out of Starfleet. She works all season to build that trust, and she does, and she's brought back into Starfleet. She regains... She rebuilds her trust. She's brought back into Starfleet. The problem is... So, in in such a way, it seems like, okay, her arc has been resolved, right? Because that is something I think should have played out throughout the series and not just a season. Mm. Right? The problem is... And there were some things that didn't work. Like, it, 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 it didn't... At least in that first season her kind of, in my opinion, her sort of relationship with Spock, Sarek, it's almost like it didn't, it didn't, it didn't matter. 
Yes. That was sort of the... The Spock relationship was sort of like the hook that brought you in to watch the show. Right? But in the context of the show itself, it didn't... In that season, anyway... Yes. It didn't... It didn't matter. Right, because... Yeah, it didn't tie into the themes of her main arc. Correct. Correct. So if if it had been more about her, like, struggle to be accepted by Vulcan parents or father, then that would have fit more with, like, her struggle to being accepted by a captain. But here's the other thing. By having Lorca be evil, that undermined the whole thing because here she is trying to... She's trying to get back in the good graces of Starfleet, but she's doing it to a captain that we find out is actually a parallel evil version. So that kind of undermined all of that work. But you make a good point. In some ways, because I think it would have been really interesting. It's like it's like this. It's like that storyline. It's like a kid raised by wolves. What happens when a human is raised by Vulcans, right? So mm. you sort of have this like parallel between she's struggling to get accepted in Vulcan society. Yeah, you know, maybe you could deal with it in a series of flashbacks throughout the season. I don't know. While also struggling to be accepted by the crew of the Discovery, so she has to kind of build that trust. And then by the time you get to the end of the season, all that's been resolved. Right now, that may have made her a little bit more compelling, but I still think the goal was to get her to sort of regain, re-earn everybody's trust and brought back into Starfleet. So she started off one place, she ended up in one place at the end. The problem then became, now what do we do with her in season two? Right. And then they brought in Spock, which... Right. It was promising. Yeah. But they had some kind of an arc. I couldn't tell you what the arc of their relationship was through that season, though. Yeah. I remember there was something where they didn't get along, and then by the end they had some heart-to-heart, and that's all I remember. Yeah, so I think on a seasonal basis, I would maybe go with Mariner. I mean, I don't want to say which one was done better. Well, actually, I do, because that's kind of what I'm saying in this conversation, I guess. But so, but the question now is, what? where does Mariner go from here? What happens next season? Right. right. Because when season one of Discovery ended, I was like, all right, well, Michael's got her rank back. This is where she... Now we get to just, yeah, now we get to just have a regular Star Trek show. Yeah, like, now what? Yeah. So, I don't think she Michael was properly utilized in a compelling way in season two, and then we'll see what happens in season three. That, of course, remains to be seen with Mariner, but I think in their introductory seasons, I would give Mariner the edge, because it felt like, even though they were kind of one-off episodes there was still that and I think I said this a few episodes a few recordings back I feel like we're sort of getting a little bit of a sense of how strange new worlds is going to wind up being right even though they're singular self-contained episodes but the arc of it are the character journeys right like this yeah this could be the template yes yes Um, uh, another thing about Mariner I really feel that we were talking about when we saw the show like really kicked into gear. I think when they realized that it's the Mariner show, that's when it got really good. Yeah, because we were saying, because I think we initially thought, oh, it's going to be the show's going to center on Boimler, 
But by the time we got to like maybe the fourth episode, we were like, no, I get. This. I think this is the Mariner show, really. Yes, and yeah. once it fully accepted that, it then yeah. it got great. I feel it went from good and fun to great. Yeah. So, and I think my other favorite thing about the season is, and I said this again in earlier podcast episodes, Tendi and Rutherford is such a fun relationship to watch because again as i said they're just nerds they're just happy to be there they're just happy to be on a starship they will gladly scrub the plasma conduits because like they're just they're and they're besties and it's just such a joy to watch their friendship and you know we get sad at the end of the season that rutherford forgets everything but then we also kind of share in Tendi's excitement because it's like oh they just they can just do this all over again and there's no kind of like threat of like well no that's not going to happen yeah like no it's just going to end up happening again yep yeah it's great and, and they're such like um you know in this in the best style of um the best trek yeah they are they're sort of like the third and fourth most important characters Right. But they have, but but we love them still. Yeah, I, I think what I would like to see going forward is, and this season did a little bit of it, but I'd like to see more of it. I want to see them take the two of them. Give me some scenes with like Tendi and Mariner. Right, get away from it just being the Tendi and Rutherford plotline. Right. Right. Pair the pair Tendi off. Like we saw Tendi get paired off with Boimler a few episodes ago. That was right. Nice. But give me more of that. Take them out of just it just being the two of them and put them either with somebody else or off on their own. Right? Get them out of that kind of safe space of the two of them and see what else see what else you can do with them. They've got a great dynamic, but you want to kind of I kind of want to see how do they work with it just with if it's just Tendi and Mariner or if mm-hmm. it's Rutherford and Mariner, right? So, I would say going forward, that's what I, that's what I would like to see. So, but overall, yeah, I mean, it was it was great. I I was very I was very happy with the way the show turned out. I think clearly you've got people writing it who are huge Trek fans, and if I had to pick a favorite episode of the season, it would probably be last week's with the. Uh, uh, the movie tribute. I thought that was fantastic. You know what? If you asked me last week for my favorite episode, I would have said last week's, but yep. now this week, I'm going to have to say this week's because I do feel that this was, this was the payoff of the whole season and yeah. it worked so well. Mm-hmm. Like if I had watched this episode first, it would not have, mm, it, would it would not have, have had, had the same, anything. yeah, it wouldn't have the same impact, which is why I think that it is a, a, as a whole season, it, it works so well. Yeah. And yeah, this episode was such a good payoff of all the character building that we've I, seen all season. I think the show has managed to find a nice balance in the way it tells its stories. Yes, it feels like the next generation, but it feels like the next generation for the 21st century, for the, tw- for the 2020s, right? It's... Again, as we mentioned, they're telling storylines that we could have seen on Next Generation. 
But unlike Next Generation, they're carrying these character arcs through that amount to something and pay off at the end of the season. And and I think they just do it so well. And I think that's kind of what this show... Every Star Trek show has its own way of doing things. And I think that's one of the things that really kind of separates this show from the other ones, right? And I love that it likes to just throw in references. That's just... You know, at first we were, I was thinking like, oh my god, are they just going to do this all the time? But that's just that's just part of the show's humor, just throwing in references left and right. Yeah, and right? when you can do that, but still have compelling characters and good stories, it's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if, yeah. If it, I know a lot of times the argument from the haters will be that a show like, oh, it relies on references. It's all it is is references. No way. No way. The references are like a, um, a seasoning on right. a wonderful stew. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's... And, you know, the point you made that you thought this final episode was the was a little bit longer, like, no, dude, it was 25 minutes. And, like, the they've somehow managed to just really make the 30-minute time frame work. Because yeah. they're able to just do so much in that time. Mm-hmm. This actually backs up a theory that I have that I feel like a lot of the I wish a lot of the original series is edited down to half hour time slot. Yeah, I think it would. A lot of them would benefit from that. Yeah, I, I maybe. <laughs> I know it's, it's we, sacrilegious we, to say. No, 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 no. But you make a good point because. As a original Twilight Zone fan, season four of the Twilight Zone, you know, episodes are normally 30 minutes. But you have that one season, season four, where the episodes are an hour. And the show just doesn't work that as well when they're hour-long episodes, in my opinion. It's, right. Even the new Twilight Zone, we were finding that when the episodes, the shorter the episode, the better it was usually. Yeah. Yeah, so... I don't. Th- yeah, I mean, I don't think that's untoward. I, yeah, I could, I could, I could definitely understand that, in some ways. Um, Maybe to learn to practice video editing, that could be a project. Well, but, for I, but at the same time, I would also argue that I don't even think they should be concerned with time. It's sort of like make them as long as you need. It's streaming, right? They know that eventually they want to they want to put it somewhere, or if they want to have it in their back pocket at least. Right. Yeah. As we saw with uh, Discovery. So overall. Very happy with this season. Very, very happy. I, I did not. I mean, I didn't go in with any feeling, any you know, being reticent or anything. I just, I didn't go in with any preconceived, with any preconceptions. I just was like, I don't know what, I don't know where this, I don't know where this ride is gonna, I don't know where this vehicle is gonna take me. Mm-hmm. But I'm along for the ride. And look, if I don't like it, I'll get off. But no, I mean, they, they. They did a great job, and I'm. I think the day after the finale aired, I was like, "Man, I missed them already." <laughs> it's only been a day. Yeah, I, I really, honestly, um, I think that they've put a lot of pressure on Discovery now, hmm. because it's just going to be so you can't help but compare because they were one literally one week apart in the same day that I would have been watching lower decks. I'm now going to be watching discovery. But I think 
what ends up happening with these is that as these as more of these trek shows coming begin to as more of these trek shows are coming it seems like there's going to be something for everybody right you may only have people who are like you know of this new slate of shows i think i'm only into lower decks like they don't have to watch the other ones right right i think each one may have its own unique audience i can tell you this as somebody who's been posting on the trek bbs since 2001 the reception that the fans have been giving lower decks has been great like i i started this thread on the trek bbs a long time ago and it's still going strong now called controversial trek opinions dare to post you what you think is a potential controversial trek opinion nice and when the season ended i went back to that thread and i said oh this thread is still going good I said I haven't discussed the the, sh- the really the show with any of you just yet, but I said Lower Decks might be my favorite season of Star Trek, first season of Trek of all time. And then expecting to get some blowback from that, somebody responded to me and said, "Yeah, that's not really controversial because everybody around here loves it." Yeah, I wonder if mine would be controversial that it's the best Trek story in 20 years. I mean, I've seen some people not into it, but I've not seen anybody really hate it. I've just, you know, the worst comments I've seen have just been, I wanted to like this show, but I just don't think it's for me. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. The worst comments I've seen are the racist and sexist ones, but we won't have to get into that. We won't have to get into those, so. But they're out there. But yeah, but the good news is that when CBS announced the show, they actually they actually bought it for two seasons. So we know there will be a second season. Coming. And there was an announcement from the creator yesterday, I think. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? Maybe. (laughs) I don't remember. It wasn't very exciting. It was something like, don't worry, folks. We got more from the Cerritos coming. I know the sort of vibe of it. The nice thing is, is that given that with the only country still on lockdown, I guess they can do all this remotely so we can get a second season going pretty quick. So true because I feel that um, the entertainment industry will be... Uh, nothing's getting better. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. what this, It's not going to go back to normal anytime soon. That's my theory. All right. So, really quick, just some uh, last bit of house cleaning here. So, we do have I do have two news items. Two Trek news items. So... The first news item, a gigantic news item, oh. at Comic-Con last week, they announced that Captain Janeway is going to be the lead on Star Trek Prodigy, which is the oh. animated series on Nickelodeon. Whoa. Which, I'm curious how that's going to work. I didn't know she was going to be the lead. I thought they just said she was going to be on it. Well, they said she's going to be the lead character. She can't be the Prodigy, though. She must be like the mentor prodigy means i don't know i assume it's gonna be kids i don't know what i'm saying it's going to be a kids show on nickelodeon and it's about starfleet kids right being smart yes yes so the (laughs) the the (laughs) that was that was great i was gonna read the plot (laughs) but but i I think you you did a great job of it it's about oh please read the plot being smart so basically it's about 
it's going to focus on a group of lawless teenagers characters that find a derelict Starfleet ship which they use to search for adventure, meaning, and salvation. So Whoa, okay. How Captain Janeway factors into all of this, I have no idea. Yeah, that's messed up. Why would she be doing it on a derelict spaceship? I have no idea. This doesn't make any sense. I have no idea. So yeah. <laughs> I ah, okay. But yeah, you trying to tell me that she's gonna be like lost again on a ship? That's what I was wondering. <laughs> That's tough. That's what I was wondering. So... Yeah. No? Yeah. I, I'm intrigued. I, I sort of... My thought before was like, oh, that show's likely not going to be for me. I mean, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. We have to watch it and cover it. Oh, well, yeah. I'm going to watch it, but I just feel like... I don't know. I don't expect that it's going to be for me. Uh, Though kids' cartoons have gotten better. Yeah. I mean, they're, many of them are very good. So, yeah, of course. But I do anticipate that it won't be for me. Or you. Yeah. I'm, I'm compelled that the hook is getting Captain Janeway back. So That's a pretty good hook. Because yeah. it worked perfectly. Because I thought before, like, oh, I don't really have to see that. And now I think, oh, yeah. okay. Um, be interesting. I, I, I gotta make one side comment though on Please. all of this because this made me think of something. So again, I posted on the Trek BBS. Now, given that we have all these Trek shows out, you know that all these shows are really good about dropping references to all these other shows, even bringing people back, right? One thing I kind of, I don't know if you can, that I kind of lamented. If this, if you can even kind of lament something. Another good word. I love that word, lament. I still feel like Deep Space Nine is getting kind of the shaft again. I'm not saying like we need to get a whole DS9 show going again, but even like in terms of like like our appetites for Next Generation, Voyager, and Enterprise are mm-hmm. extremely have been extremely satisfied. Mm-hmm. The most we've gotten, we've gotten a Quark name drop on Picard. We saw DS9 briefly in Lower Decks. But we're still not, and the Dominion War reference from the recent episode, but like DS9 is still kind of sitting over there like, hey guys, what about DS9? What Mm -hmm. about me, right? Like, so I'm a little saddened by that. But, yeah. I have a theory, which I hope is true. So there was... um, Famously, George Lucas would always say, like, you know, there were a lot of Star Wars comics over the years and novels and things. And people would come to him with ideas for certain things. One would be something about, like, young Yoda or something like that. And he would always say, no, we're saving that. Yeah. And also the the time between, what was it? There was some time period. I forget exactly what it was. Maybe, like, uh, right after Return of the Jedi. No, they did that. Well, there was some time period that he said, and also, like, no one can do anything in this time period because I'm saving that for something. So I wonder if they're holding it back intentionally, knowing that, like, at some point we want to do something great with it, but we don't want to, you know, we want to wait for the right thing. We don't want to rush into it. Well, this is not my other news item, but I did see, I did come across a clickbait article the other day that mentioned that they want to bring Cisco back in some way. CBS is trying to bring Cisco back in some some ways 
<laughs> Avery Brooks is. I know. Diamond, that's but it's like that's. I love it. I love it, and I love it, and I'm just thinking of Avery Brooks, <laughs> and I'm thinking of you know, know. Imagine that meeting where you go to him with a plan. <laughs> well, and also, answer out of him. Yeah, um, every Trek fan knows what we're suggesting, and it's like, how do you, how does he play Cisco again? He's but, so awesome. I love him. Um, but you know what actually makes me excited is I hope that he flexes his muscle a little bit, like Patrick Stewart did, and gets like some creative input because I want to see what that guy would have to say through Star Trek. It's from this. It's from the website from the site we got this covered. I don't know how um, reliable they are. I don't, but. It says CBS reportedly plans to bring back Star Trek Deep Space Nine's Captain Sisko. Now, it doesn't say in what fashion. You know, does he come on to Picard? Does he come on to Lower? It doesn't go into that. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that... All I'm saying is that I, I, I hate that we seem to, they seem to be forgetting that the world of Deep Space Nine is every bit as important as... Next generation. People love Next Generation. Okay, I get it. People, everyone grew up with Next Generation. I understand. People love Voyager, but you got to show them between there too. Yeah, I would just, you know, hopefully it's because out of it's out of that love and respect for it that it's like we got to be careful with this one. This one's special. That's yeah, maybe. <laughs> I know. I don't think there's that much planning going on yeah. at CBS. Honestly. Well, it's funny you should mention that because my other news item is something that came out of New York Comic Con where, according to Kurtzman, they have laid out plans for Star Trek on TV all the way through 2027. Okay. That's, you know... (laughs) I mean, we've been hearing about a Flash movie for... um nine years yeah but when you think about but okay but you can plan out anything on paper yes but look how much trek we've been getting over the think about this discovery you're right they've stuck with everything they've said so far discovery came out three years ago yeah look at what we've got so far and look at what's coming right i mean you make a point the darkest period of the Trek franchise is really from 2005 to from is between 2005 and 2009, from when Enterprise ended to when the first Abrams film came out. It always shocks me how short that actually was. It really was. It felt like it was forever, but I think because you were just so used to Trek being on the effort so often that it just it felt like you know. Um, mm-hmm. But this has clearly, this has by far been the busiest the Trek franchise has ever been since the 90s. Since the 90s. True, and so, I do. Like I said, I have to give them credit. They have co- come through on everything they've said. Right now, they haven't made Section Thirty-One, but I don't care that they didn't make it. And they, right? Supposedly, it's still in you know now progress. Obviously, whether you like it or not is a different conversation. But you can't deny right. the fact that yes, there's a lot of Trek on right now. A lot of Trek is coming. Mm-hmm. You, some fans may not like it. That's fine. But you can't tell me that it hasn't been successful, because clearly, I mean, when you think back though, we were. I remember thinking back then though, we were a little taken aback by the fact that this all came because of one season of Discovery. Yeah, like one season of Discovery told you yeah. to do right. So we were a little kind of like, wait, what? 
but yeah, yeah. I know, like, I don't subscribe to the ideas of any of the people that have conspiracies about CBS All Access and whatnot. Right. But the only thing that I will, I will agree, can't really know how successful things are in raw, like a raw data way, only because they control all their data. They don't release it. Right. Now we just we can only go by assuming. Well, they wouldn't keep making them if they weren't successful. Yeah, I mean, Trek definitely has data. <laughs> well done. Um, but yeah, like I, Do they have raw data though. It was <laughs> that's when he was first activated. <laughs> S- yeah, I mean, but I I think it was a pretty easy bet in the early days. Like, you know, people may have their own thoughts on what on the first season of Discovery as far as like, you know storyline was concerned and whatnot but again it was successful and given the fact that it's a star trek show i feel like cbs was probably thinking it's a pretty safe bet that this is not gonna fail and there's a hunger for trek on tv yeah right so nobody wants the international rights and this and blah 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 but i think (laughs) but the biggest concern with all of this in the beginning was fans were thinking like, oh, there's going to be too much of it. Is it going to run itself into the ground like Ugh, before? And I thought to myself, it, like, okay, when you but when you had all of those shows back on back then, were you complaining about it then? Thinking this is too much? And then really, this is just a matter of opinion at this point, because I remember I had this argument with somebody about the Marvel films. who was concerned about there being too much and I thought to myself yeah but does it matter if do you have that thought if it's good yeah but you make this argument about Star Wars (laughs) well because I just don't think that everything can be expand expanded interesting yeah but that's I think Star Wars is the most expandable but that's a conversation for a different time right so I just Trek has proven itself to be successful expanding into other areas, and so. But as we were saying, like with you know, with regards to like comparing this to the, to Marvel on TV, this oh, yeah. this period that we're in right now is the first time we're getting shows wall to wall, but they're not coming out at the same time. And because entertainment nowadays is so fractured, everything is so on demand as it was. Mm-hmm. You don't have to watch Picard if you don't want to. You don't have yeah. to watch Discovery if you don't. You can just watch Lower Decks, and if that's yeah. all you're thinking about, then you don't even think about the other shows. So, Yeah, and if yeah. you want, you can get TBSL access for Lower Decks when it comes on, and then you can check out Picard and see if you like it. Yeah, it's easier to kind of navigate away from these other shows if mm. you don't want to watch them. So... I mean, I know that they said early on in the beginning, like, there was some statement about how they wanted to, CBS wanted to have a Trek show on the air all the time. And Kurtzman kind of pushed back and said, I don't think we're ever going to be able to get to that point. But. For half a year they are, though. They, look, you know, hey, 2020, they got three shows on the air. But don't forget, I mean, there were still gaps in between them. Which I thought was okay. I mean. Not right now, though. Not right now. We have, what, 26 weeks? Straight, right. But you had, but Picard ended, and then you had to. We had to wait like five right. months for Lower Decks. Now, I now granted, I don't want to wait like five months. That's still a long time. But or maybe just knowing that we have the satisfaction of like, okay, we know that it's coming at least, 
right? Yeah. So and for us, we get a break from podcasting. So does that too? I can't wait for so I can't wait for Discovery to end so we can actually take a break. But the show hasn't even started yet. So um, yeah. So I, into 2027, I think that's that's pretty amazing. As you know, I'm looking forward to Strange New Worlds the most. Mm-hmm. But I'm not worried about getting getting oversaturated. I mean, it, it, no. you're going to have different writing staff, a different writing staff on every show. I hope so. Right? So. so, I mean, hey, as much as you love Lower Decks, you know that this clearly was not the same people who wrote Discovery. So Yeah, clearly. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm down. I still hope that they change their mind on Section 31. <laughs> Um, you know, but who knows? They might have a great idea for it. I don't know what it's going to be yet. That's what I'm most skeptical about. Same, same. We just we find it odd that it just seems like it's getting omitted at every. Where was the Section Thirty One panel on Star Trek Day? Right, right. So, I don't know. I, I still think that it has something to do with the third season of Discovery. I think that no matter what they say, it would somehow give away something for season three of Discovery because. That makes sense. Because she, because Giorgio's on the show. That's my only right. guess. And something's going to happen to her this season. We don't know what, but something will happen. Yeah. But it's like, even then, you can't be coy in any way. Like, no matter what you say would potentially give something away. So Right. Even when he said, I've been looking at all the theories that are out there online, and all I can say is that none of them are right. Yeah about like the setting and then that spurred an article from on inverse i think about how well it must be a time travel show because that's the only thing that hasn't been theorized that's that's on the slate of shows that's the only show that i'm not i mean i'm gonna watch it assuming it even exists now because i I still don't even know but that's the show that i'm i'm the i'm the least excited about at this point just because we don't know anything and we're not getting any updates at all. Like, Strange New Worlds was announced in May, and we've already gotten two panels on the damn show. Right. The only updates we're really getting are trust us, it's still happening. Yeah, we've the, the Section 31 announcement came like a year and a half ago. Yeah, and it was obviously, I'll mention it again, but the great on Star Trek Day, I think it was Star Trek Day, when Kurtzman was listing all the shows that are in, and he had something to say about all of them, and then at the end he said, oh, and Section 31, and that was all he said. So, and... Uh, I don't know if this, this could be deliberate. I have no idea, but right. And now we've got, I would assume, pandemic-related slowdowns on everything. They're not. They're not doing a good job of selling us on the idea of the show. They're doing what they did with Star Trek Beyond. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. Also, is they don't have to sell us on it yet. Right. If it's two years, three, three years away, you know, they they start two years from now and they could be okay yeah in any event in any event this episode brings a close to our lower decks coverage until next season starting as of this recording we're recording this on a Tuesday the week after the finale as of our next episode we begin our discovery coverage which it's been ages since we've last seen that show, so it feels like 930 is, as I keep saying. So <laughs> yes, yes. And then a couple weeks after that, the in Star Trek We Trust Network will be bringing you 
Voices from the Armory mm-hmm. uh, podcast about the uh, Star Trek show The Mandalorian. The Star Trek show The Mandalorian? Yeah, I did that on purpose. Okay, I was confused for a second. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you did do it deliberately. I did. Um, yeah, so there's that coming too. Mm-hmm. We're branching out into new territory. Yep. And we think that you'll uh, follow us along for the ride. Definitely. I'm excited to uh, dive into that one, too. I'm excited to see what the heck's going to happen. Discovery comes October 15th, and the date of that show is, what is it again? Two weeks later? Mandalorian is the 30th. Yeah, it's two weeks later, so we're going to be, okay. So, But we will be recording a lead-up episode to that as well to kind of... I say reintroduce ourselves, but we, we we are kind of assuming that a lot of you people who listen to this will listen to us there too, so you already know who we are. But I'm sure yeah, we'll pick up the odd group of Star Wars fans. Talk a little too, bit so. about what we think might be coming in the show, and yep, a little bit about some of the changes that are coming to the show with these new characters that we know from other um, parts of the franchise. Yep. But on that note, we'll be back this week coming weekend to begin the coverage of season three of discovery later skaters peace out